Hey everybody, welcome to this month's Metal Misconduct. I am Brian Slagle from Metal Blade Records, and as always, I am joined by my pal from NHL.com, Sean Rourke. Sean, how are you? Doing well, Brian. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on the show again. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, well, it's part. Uh, it's your show too, so I'm not having you on the show. Yeah, well, you know, still you got to have me there. I got to have you there. So um, that's how a partnership works. And uh, ready to have an interesting episode here. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, oh, interesting. You're, put, you're putting all the pressure now. I'll tell you. Um, anyway, we're joined this month by uh, my good friend and uh, one of the members of the Fourth Period website, magazine, etc. King's Insider. How, how many other? things that you, does he do dennis bernstein how are you dennis i'm doing great brian you flatter me it's great to be on uh metal misconduct with both of you uh, i respect both your knowledge it's gonna be a fun time well thanks uh, so much for doing this so as we take we're taping this on monday uh before the game six of the king's sharks series so by the time you guys hear this the outcome will be finished and you'll know whether we're talking correctly or incorrectly but dennis you've been to have you been to all the games dennis or you just been to the la ones i've been to uh games three four and five awesome so this is a crazy comeback i mean the kings were down and out blown out the first two games three nothing thought ah maybe they can win one game just because you know they're a good team but now all of a sudden they've won two they have the momentum coming home here to staples and tonight niemi is out and vlasic is out uh how do you see this thing going i mean how can the kings not win right that's the assumption and i think the bigger loss I'm sure Sean will agree with me, is uh, Mark Edward Vlasic. It's like taking Drew Doughty off the Kings. I mean, the best defenseman by far. Niemi, you know, there was a question, Brian, toward the end of the season, uh, there was a big game in Anaheim for basically the Pacific Division title uh, that the Ducks won, and Niemi did not play well. And at the time, we asked uh, Tom McClellan if he was his guy for na- game one. He says he's one of my guys for na- game one. So there was some doubt about this, this goaltender coming into the playoffs. Um, he he could have himself well. Um, in the first three games. And I'll be honest with you, the, the two losses, after game four, um, uh, McClellan said it wasn't his fault. It was the entire back end that didn't play well. And in game five, I asked him after game five, does he have a decision to make in game six? And he did. So there's some, there's some consternation. Look, it would be a stark comeback if they did this, right? So are the odds against them? Yeah, because they won their game in the shark tank, right? I mean, to, to think the King's going to go up to that building and win twice in the series... It's a long stretch, but you know what? It's it's now possible. What was impossible maybe 72 hours ago, Brian, is not possible. And, you know, the Kings are playing that one game at a time. They're saying all the right cliches. You're hearing all the right things. But, you know, it's still, you know, it, there's a reason why only three teams have ever done it. Because it is, it's a very, very daunting task against, you know, what's still very, very good a San Jose team. Yeah, and, you know, you know what strikes me? There's two things with this move. A, a lot of people look at it and say that odds. Uh, panicking a little bit, but, you know, A, I think they don't have a lot of tape on Staloc. I know he played some towards the end of the year to give Miami a rest, but uh, I, I think the shooters in, in L.A. Have, have done some pretty good scouting during the series and they kind of figured out, you know, where you're going to beat uh, where you're going to beat Miami, and it was a lot of right around the net making him move at that point. We did an interesting thing on the site where we had one of our goalie experts, Kevin Woodley, break down every goal that, that quick and Miami had given up, and that's where he was vulnerable. That's where he is vulnerable. And the other thing is, his star has fallen. You know, everybody says he's won a cup, and, you know, I think we had this argument last time we were on the podcast, Brian, but, like, I remember, you know, going into the Olympics, there was no question he was the number three for Finland, and there was there was even some doubt that he would make the team. I mean, I think that's how far his stock has fallen in some circles. So, to me, this isn't a surprise that, that Stalock's getting the start in Game 6. I, I always thought that Miami would be on a short leash. Well, yeah, but... I guess it's interesting. I mean, he has won a cup and he's been he's been pretty good. And we'll have to see how good Staylock plays. But I do, you know, I think Dennis mentioned it too. I mean, it was a little bit of a you know, is it a panic move? A little bit. I, I don't know what message it sends to to the room in San Jose, but it's interesting. And you know, the other thing, the only reason why I almost 
think that the Kings can do this is they've got two guys on the roster in Carter and Richards who just did this a few mm-hmm. years ago in Philadelphia where they were down three games tonight and came back. So they've done it. They kind of know how it goes, right, Dennis? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I talked to Drew Dowdy after the game. He says, we're looking at it one game at a time. We're not thinking about four. And they have never talked about winning four. They talked about winning game four, winning game five. And going back to Niami, you know, I look at that game five, and I look at those three goals, I'm thinking, you know, what goal could he really have stopped? So I think it was more of a momentum shift. But, you know, look, I love Todd McClellan. I think he's one of the brightest coaches in the league. Uh, I, I wouldn't disagree with him. He's probably forgotten more than I know about the game. So um, it, I agree with Sean. It's a risk, but it's not a huge risk. You're not taking a guy who was, you know, under 500 during the season and, and putting him in net. And he did play well, even though, look, it was – Love three when he went in the game, and the game was really kind of decided. But he stopped all the shots that the Kings put at him, and they were trying to expand the lead. So is there a risk somewhat? But it's a mulligan game. If Steelock comes in and gives up six goals, guys, they're going to put Miami in back for seven. So if he wins, then McCall says, oh, he's a genius. He, he played the right court. So I, I think they've got a little bit of you know, a mulligan here to, you know, on game six. But in game seven, if Stalock doesn't play well, I can't think they're going to go back then. So we'll see. What, you know, you got, that's why they play the games, guys. Yeah, and this. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think that's the message that he's sending to the room is he's saying, look, I'm putting myself out on the line here. I'm putting the quote unquote backup in. You know, I think it's like pulling a goalie during a game when you, early in a game, when you want to wake a team up and say, look, you're not playing for this guy. You're embarrassing him. I, I think that's what he's doing here. I think, you know, there's so much going wrong with San Jose right now between the classic injury and the two losses that he's trying to wake up the room and throw a hand grenade in there and say, hey, look, Here's my backup, and you know you guys better play for him, or we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and this playoff year has been crazier. I think crazier than every other year. I mean, you look at these series. You look at Chicago, St. Louis, where St. Louis looked completely dominating the first two games, and Chicago came back and in crazy fashion won that. And the same in Anaheim. Anaheim looked good, and Anaheim looked absolutely horrible in Dallas. And also the craziness going on in that series. And then last night. <laughs> they were down 42. I turned that game off with like five minutes left and went to go watch Game of Thrones with my wife and didn't pay any attention until I went to bed and turned on NHL Tonight and saw that they come back and won five to four. It's, 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 I know you guys tell me if I'm wrong, but is this the, so far the craziest playoff year ever? Yeah, Brian, here's why. Right. Five years ago, I mean, we were all old enough to, to, to go back five years right in the game. Um, two goal leads, give them up. Never, never happens. I mean, one series, Pittsburgh and Columbus, I think the first four games, they blew two goal leads. It's been amazing. And I, you know what? I love it. There's more offense in these playoffs. That, I think that's the, you know, that's one of the keys. And you see the emergence of a guy like Nathan McKinnon, which is, which is just awesome. 18 years old. He's just doing fantastic things for Colorado. These are more, these are just as competitive as other years, but they're more entertaining, right? You know, like you said, Brian, you turned off 4-2 Anaheim and Dallas, and you got an overtime back at you. So, I mean, that's been a big, big difference. You know, it's just not, okay, we're going to get a two-goal lead, you know, like when the Kings won the Cup in 2012, and they locked the game down and you didn't get any chances. Now no game, no lead is safe, and I think for a player for first round, you know, I, I always kind of uh, equate it to March Madness and the NCAA is not kind of coined the phrase April Awesomeness. I mean, this, this, this round has just been amazing. It's been great. The buildings have been rocking. It just, I, I don't think the NHL could ask for more in the playoff series. No, and I mean, let's forget two goals. I mean, there was a time in the NHL playoffs when if you scored first, you were going to win 70 to 75% of the time. I don't even know that it's 50% in this series. Right. Like, you don't turn on a game now and say, oh, this game's over. I mean, you'd be foolish to do that with some of the comebacks that have happened in, in almost every series. And it's not just one team. You know, it's not just Pittsburgh playing loosey-goosey and, and you know, not able to hold down a lead. These are some serious defensive teams. I mean, Ken Hitchcock is a defensive genius. I don't think anybody will argue with that. And and they couldn't hold leads. Um, you know, the, there's all kinds of teams in this tournament that are defensively sound, but for some reason it's just blown up and, and the offense is ruling the day here. Well, why do you think that is, Sean? I mean, it's, it's, it is interesting. It, it seems like this year, more than any other years, you've seen teams come back, and I, I don't have the statistics on me, but but is there any reason you think, like, is it the, is the officiating different? Is it because these are division rivals? I mean, what, what what's the key here? Well, I, I think there's a couple of te- things. I, I think teams are being a lot more aggressive. 
you know, I think there, there's an influx of some coaches that have become much more aggressive and aren't playing that the sit back and wait kind of, uh, kind of game. You know, Chicago's shown that for a couple of years and this is a copycat league and, you know, teams have gone out and built their teams that way where they're going to attack a little bit more now. And then, you know, you look at like Patrick Wong in Colorado and, and you know, he's, he just throws caution to the wind. You know, he pulls his goalie with three minutes left. He's won two games that way. I mean, you know, that was unheard of in the NHL. You know, when I was a little kid and I first learned about, you know, pulling your goalie, I'm like, well, you're losing. Why don't you do that all the time? Like, if you're down two goals, why don't you pull your goalie with six minutes left? It doesn't matter whether you lose by five goals or one goal. You still lost. And the NHL was so conservative in that way and so many other ways. And now you kind of see the warm turn a little bit. I mean, some of these coaches are becoming much more much more aggressive. I mean, you have other coaches that are going to remain very conservative. You know, you look in Boston and Claude Julian is always going to be that defense first guy. But that's not it's not the majority anymore. I think it's more of a 50-50 proposition. Crazy. Now, last month we did our picks, and I mistakenly went away from my original pick the beginning of the season, which was Hawks, Blackhawks in the finals. And I, I for some reason, got drank the Ken Hitchcock Kool Aid somehow and picked the Blues to win. So I'm, I'm, but I did after that, I went to the NHL. I'll give you a plug, uh, Sean, NHL.com bracket challenge, and I filled out my brackets on NHL.com. And I did pick, I did go back and pick the Hawks again to, to go in and win. So I'm going to, I'm going to preface that by saying that. Now, Dennis, have you made predictions? Can you make predictions? Yeah. And whom are they? Yeah, I think I have a, a, a record now. I think it's 14 straight years I've, I've not picked a cup winner. But, um, <laughs> That's a good streak. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I in October, I, I thought that this was the, the opportunity for Jonathan Taves to create a legacy in this league by winning another championship. I, I like them, and I, like, I actually like the repeat. I like the Chicago-Boston repeat final. And I think you saw in this series that Jonathan Taves took a hold of his team and, and came back from 0-2 to lead his, lead his team to a victory over a very, very sound St. Louis team. So I, I still love them. They have the depth. Um, and not only that, you know, Crawford, who wasn't really good, down the stretch, you probably cost him a division title, was fantastic and outplayed Ryan Miller in, in this last round. Um, so I, they're cooking on all cylinders. And even without Brent Seabrook, guys, you know, Brent Seabrook didn't play in three games and they still beat the Blues. And that says a lot about this team, that the coach has been fantastic. Um, I just like their depth. I like their experience. And I, I think they're ready to win four rounds again. You know, and the amazing thing about Crawford, because I'm not a fan, I, I've always kind of been like they win in spite of him. He's kind of like the Andy Moog, Andy Moog character, you know, the, the guy that's just kind of back there for a very offensive team. In his last three series wins, he's beaten Miller, uh, Rask, and Quick. I mean, you can't ask for more than that from your goalie. I mean, it's not like he's beating, you know, uh, number twos back there. He's beating three elite goalies to you win them the Western Conference Championship of Stanley Cup and then get them out of what I think was the toughest first round. I think it's a shame that one of those two teams had to go home early. Um, but especially with the new playoff format, that's going to happen uh, quite a bit, I think. I love the new playoff format. I mean, I think that's a, a little bit of a reason why these playoffs have been so exciting. I mean, you're playing within the division for the first time ever. The first round you have, unless you're one of the division winners, it's made it super entertaining. And these two, three matchups in almost every series are just crazy yeah. and insane. Yeah. Uh, and I hope, I certainly hope the Avs win. We were talking a lot about the Avs. Certainly hope they win. They're, they're up three to two now. You would think that they probably will. And that's going to be an interesting series too, Colorado versus Chicago, if it comes to 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 fruition. Yeah, and Colorado's had their number this year, so they've played them very, very well, and they have the speed to match them, and, and I agree with you, Brian. I, I, I love this matchup. You know, the bracket challenge, you know, that's a marketing opportunity, but I just think that the fact of knowing who you're going to play in the next round, you don't have to think, are they going to receive or not receive? You know, like right now, Kings fans and Shark fans know the Ducks are sitting there waiting for them. It's as simple as that, and I, I think that uh, at least in Southern California here, are we all rooting for King Ducks, you know, next round? Absolutely. It's, it's the one thing that we need in Southern California to kind of stop the rivalry after the uh, the great um, outdoor game at Dodger Stadium. So I, I love the new format. I know people are going to bang out, but as Sean said, there's going to be good teams, not, you know, in the West, there's going to be good teams coming out. There's, what, a 7-100 point teams this season in the West. There's going to be good teams eliminated no matter how you see Even if you went from 1 to 16, you know, the 7-8 and, you know, the 5-8 five, five, games would be, you know, would be tough too. So I just love the format. And again, 
you know, the proof is in the games that have been played, and we've seen fantastic hockey at the highest level. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I love the format too. I'm just saying, in that matchup, like to me, that's the Western Conference final, and, and it's not going to happen. You know, I, I think the matchup's been great, and one of the one of the side effects of its fan is that we've noticed is it's actually generated interest, like you mentioned in other series. Like I, I know for for traffic wise, like you know, for days now, Montreal has been watching the Bruins series until they swept to see who they were playing. I mean, until they won in five. And now, you know, once, if one of these, like if Pittsburgh wins tonight, everybody in Pittsburgh is going to be tuned into that New York, uh, Philadelphia game six and, and, you know, to try and figure out who they're going to play. Um, and, and so the interest isn't quite as provincial as it used to be. And yeah. for the playoffs, a lot of times it was very regional and it was very, you know, I'm going to follow my team. I don't know who they're going to play next, so I don't care about the rest of the playoffs. Now there's a linear line where you can kind of say, I need to pay attention to this series because this is what my team's doing next. Well, yeah, and if you look at this, if you if you we th- say how awesome the first round's been, you look at these p- second round matchups. I mean, first of all, Boston Montreal is legendary, insane brawl hatred. I mean, that series is going to be unreal. And then you've got the other series is going to be. Well, I mean, it looks like Penguins versus Rangers, but it also could be Penguins versus Flyers. Which, of course, that series for a few years ago is one of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest series ever in the history of the NHL, because, of course, I love offense. Um, but those are great. And then you look at the West, you know, Colorado and Chicago, that's an interesting series. Those two teams have played some great games together. And either Ducks, Sharks, or, of course, Ducks, Kings. I mean, all these second-round series have the potential to be even better than the first, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. There'll be more drama, and I think existing rivalries will be you know, both original six and kind of later rivalries. If it was, you know, Sharks, Ducks, they they played a couple of times in the playoffs. The Kings and um, Ducks have never played, and I, I certainly think that would grab a lot of media attention in Southern California as the game always needs. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think that these eight teams remaining, they, Brian, there ain't no scrubs left, man. And these, these are going to be legit teams here. There's no Cinderella, short of maybe Columbus upsetting Pittsburgh. There's no Cinderella. These are all legitimate teams that can go deep in a playoff run. Yeah, and the beauty of the second round is it's not as diffused as it is now. You know, you have a lot of people, you know, you went to bed the other night in that game. I've missed a couple of late games because of how early, you know, my my day starts. Although it hasn't been too many, it's been uh, burning the candles at both ends. But, you know, the beauty of the second round and then the third round is you can pay attention to every game. There's not that series that you kind of look at. You know, whether it's the Dallas Anaheim series or, or whatever, there's always usually one series that everybody kind of identifies and say, hey, you know what, I'm checking out on this one. And I think for a lot of people, it was Columbus and Pittsburgh. And then all of a sudden, you know, to me, that's a great series and, and good on Columbus because, you know, the, I think John Davidson has done a great job since he's been there. And, and the team itself is, is fantastic. They're fun to watch. And I don't know if anybody saw the scenes out of there today. They're, you know, uh, they're playing game six tonight in Columbus. And, and there were people sleeping out for 24 hours to get the limited tickets they had left. I mean, you know, everybody's kind of pointed at that town and say it's one of those towns that's not a hockey town. And, you know, I think they're proving people wrong. The atmosphere in there reminds me a lot of when Carolina went to the Cup the first time and people couldn't believe what a crazy hockey town that could be when they won. And I think that's where Columbus is now. If this is something that they can maintain, I think they're on the on the cusp of becoming a real hockey market and, and being an entertaining place to see a game. And they could certainly win, too. I mean, you know, obviously if they win tonight, it's back to Game 7 in Pittsburgh, and you would think that Pittsburgh would not lose that game. But these days, Dan Bilesman's track record in the playoffs isn't very good, so you just don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, really crazy how all these these first-round games have come. Now, Dennis, earlier you mentioned uh, probably, to me, the biggest surprise of this entire year is Nathan McKinnon. Coming out of junior, very good, solid player, but I certainly didn't think he was going to be this good in the regular season, obviously this amazing in the playoffs. Did, Did anybody really think that? Well, I, I think he was. If you did a preseason poll, I think of the writers would he have been one of the favorites for the uh, for the Calder. Yeah, but I think the trust from game one that Patrick Watts put in him has, has really paid dividends, right? And, and we knew about the speed, we knew about the skill, but I think some of those. I remember the one empty net goal. I think it was in game two that that Peter Stassi scored. I mean, Peter, that, that Paul Stassi scored. Um, 
that was made by McKinnon's strength on the boards. And for this kid who's not that big to have such strength, um, and I, you know, he's matured during the season, but I think it goes back to the trust from game, from game one of Patrick Watt and his team. Um, this guy, you know, walked in the room, Brian and, and Sean, legitimate, right? There was no questioning that Patrick Watt was a winner as a player and also as a coach in the queue. Um, he trusted this team from game one and nobody had them winning the, uh, the division. I think a lot of it has to do with Nate McKinnon. Was it a surprise? I think to the extent in which he dominated and will win the, uh, the Norris trophy, I mean, the call the trophy voting, yes. Uh, but, you know, he can do it, and that's the great thing about the sport, guys, is that you can have an 18-year-old kid emerge from juniors to be a star in this league. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, the thing that amazes me, one, is his strength. You talk to guys who've been in this league for a long time, and they're like, I can't believe how strong he is, how hard he is to knock off the puck. He's only 18 years old. He's not supposed to be able to do these things. And, and just as an illustration, I mean, Tampa Bay had a guy, you know, that was drafted right around him and Jonathan Drouin, and they, they felt like they had to send him back to junior for another year. So, you know, the, the disparity in, in what these two guys accomplished, and Jonathan Drouin had a great year in juniors. It's still going on. He dominated the Q playoffs after being in a little bit of a funk. But the other guy, is dominating the Stanley Cup playoffs. There's only two 18-year-olds that have scored more points um, than than Nathan McKinnon scored it in this series, um, and, and that's when you when you think about some of the young players that have come into this game and taken over right away. That's an incredible stat. I mean, this is a generational talent that's kind of come out of. I mean, he was well known, but there was some debate over whether he was the number one. There's very few of those generational talents where you're like, I wonder who they're going to take they're usually guys that, that you know right away. So his his progression has been unbelievable. I mean, it, I, to me, it's one of the major storylines of this whole season. Yeah, really, like I said, really surprising to me. I saw him in junior, excellent junior player. But, he, you know, he's like a lot of other guys, like a Taylor Hall, for example, that well, I actually thought Taylor Hall was probably a better player in junior, more dominant in junior. And uh, obviously Taylor Hall's not on a great team, but you look like Nathan McKinnon has come in and, He's turned. I mean, look, there's a lot of great players on the Avalanche, and that team down the road in two or three years, if not even this year, is going to be a cup contender for sure as they grow up. But I'm just unbelievably surprised at how dominant that guy's been. He's dominating NHL playoff games. I mean, that doesn't happen, as, like as you said, Sean. It's crazy. And that whole team is young. I mean, that's that's kind of the beauty of that team. They're they're one of those teams when you look at them. You know, their whole core is very young and, and can be sustained for a long time. You know, I, I think they're kind of following the Chicago blueprint. they got a couple of really good young guys that they're going to build around. They have a, a more than serviceable goalie, and, and they're, just, they're a team that can compete that way, I think, for several years. Now, as a, also, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, but they also they also bounced back from a major injury to Tyson Barry, too. I think there's a parallel between Colorado and Dallas. Both those teams – if they build their blue lines, watch out because the offensive skill they've got on those teams up front has been is really really up there on high level high skill. Uh, if they build their blue lines, um, they can contend for years at this point. Yeah, I think I think Colorado is going to be one of those teams. I mean, the West is really interesting because you look at a team, for example, like Anaheim. I mean, they're still a very young team. I mean, gets laughing. Perry are twenty nine. Most of their defensemen are really young. Boshman's getting a little bit older. Obviously, you're going to lose Solane, who was not a big factor, but you guys. Panino and Perot and all these guys stepping up. Kings are still a pretty young team as well. The Avs are very young. The Blackhawks are very young. All these teams are young teams. Yeah, and, you know, they are. The core is young, and they, they're also locked up, right? Perry and Getzlaff, long-term deals. Uh, Dowdy, Kopitar, Brown, um, long-term deal. Voinov, long-term deal. So I think that that's what the smart GMs lock these guys up. And, and you know, Sean, he's a great uh, term generational talent, not right? Your core guys that don't come along very often. You have to lock them up at this point in time. If it takes them, if it takes just money to lock them up, you lock them up. But yeah, these teams should be competitive, and it, that's the kind of a, a troubling, you know, signal to the teams that are not in contention, like in Edmonton, that really needs to build. Like, who's going to fall out of these this pack of really, really good teams in the West? Um, that the, the teams that are coming up can emerge to, like Vancouver, Phoenix, the, the guys that missed it. You know, these teams are going to be hanging around for a while because, like you said, Brian, the court team are, are still really in their prime. Yeah, and the big thing that changed with the cap is it's allowed these teams, you know, to to project years in the future and keep their pieces together. 
you know, so in, in the past, there was always that opportunity with some of the lower budget teams that their big guys would become available and you could rebuild that way. That's not happening because even for, even for teams that aren't as competitive, they're able to at least lock up the talent that they want to build around. And, and there, there's fewer of those really game-breaking free agents that come mm-hmm. on the market unless they do with some sort of baggage that you have to take a gamble on. Mm-hmm. So the whole draft and reload that's worked for years, that worked for, that worked for Chicago, that's worked for Anaheim, it's a lot harder to pull off now, I think, in this second generation of the cap because people understand it and they're able to build longer term into the future and, and not have as many variables as they've had in the past. Right. And I think you also saw that shown at the uh, trade deadline. You know, people were really, really, you know, people weren't giving away first round picks anymore. I don't think you see those trades Paul Gostaff for first round anymore because now, like you say, maybe you can add one really good free agent maybe every other year. You have to draft and develop. It's as simple as that's the simple formula of winning in the NHL. The teams that haven't drafted and developed well, they're at the bottom of the standings and they're outside looking in come playoff time. Yeah, and everybody's doing what the Chicago Blackhawks have done, which is locking up your core guys, keeping them around for long-term deals. And then you saw with Chicago, when they won their first cup, they lost four or five key guys, but they were able to get enough good guys back. And that, of course, is becoming the art these days of the general managers, getting the right core guys, the, the third and fourth line, the fifth and sixth defensemen to come back in. And Chicago was able to do it. They've won two cups with essentially the same core, but different people outside. And, you know, other teams are trying that, like Pittsburgh, for example, but they haven't done a very good job getting those secondary guys in. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the, the model these days. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think, I'm sorry. I think the perfect example of that is like a Buffalo, you know, they made the big trade this year. And they got picks back. They have picks everywhere, but they don't. Ha- they didn't get the guys back that they need. They got Hawk, and then they moved him, which is probably, in retrospect, not a bad move. But if you're just going to keep on bringing in kids, and they're going to get their heads beat in because they're really young, like Nathan McKinnon was great, but he at least kept some guys to protect them. You know, if you're in Buffalo and everybody's, you know, in their early 20s, and you're not very good, it's not an atmosphere that's very conducive to developing a good team. So. You know, the key more than you could still trade those guys, but you need to get actual talent back if you're a rebuilding team other than draft picks because you can't just keep going to that cupboard. You know, everybody looks at Buffalo's uh, cupboard of picks, and it's unbelievable. I mean, any GM would kill for it, and I think that's part of the reason Tim Murray took that job. But how do you develop them if you don't have a core around them? You know, that's always been the thing where you bring guys in and, and they're indoctrinated into the culture of the franchise. And that's what happens with good teams. And, and, you know, some of these teams that are trying to rebuild need to build that culture first before they can bring in all those draft picks. Exactly. So now I wanted to get you guys... I you guys speechless on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were done yet. I, uh, I want to get your guys' opinion about something. Uh, if the reports are true, which it seems that it is, because it was Bob McKenzie that broke it, and if those of you who don't know Bob McKenzie, pretty much everything he says comes true, is my old buddy Brad Treliving is going to be the new GM of the Calgary Flames. Uh, how do you guys feel about that? Yeah, well, well it's... It- Dennis first. Yeah, it's, it's a done deal. Um, oh, it happened a little later today. Um, and uh, he's, uh, I mean, he's an awesome pick. Eh? He, he thinks the game, like I just talked about, in a, in a much more modern way. You know, he's, he's been around forever. I, I know you're, you're excited about it because he was one of your, one of your business partners, right? And, uh, in the in the central league, yeah, he he was the the he was basically the guy running the central league, the the commissioner of the league when I first got in got in. So I spent many many hours with him and and Rick Hosebeck, who was the uh, the main guy for the league, uh, just talking about hockey and and everything. And Brad's dad is a a, a big guy in uh, Boston Pizza and a a big huge hockey fan. So I spent a lot of time talking hockey with those guys. Could not be a nicer guy super smart hockey and a guy and i'm so happy that he's that he's gone up and do this and now he's gone all the way up to the ranks of general manager so i guess uh, i'm gonna have to be a calgary flames fan a little bit again <laughs> yeah and, and brian Burke in his press conference said that he was a very hard-working guy brian would do a tour rink and brad would always have been you know there the night before there that night and you know he went through a very tough time with the ownership situation in phoenix Learn the game. We'll certainly learn things from Brian Burke. He said he's ready to step into this role at this point in time. And you know what? That franchise is going places. He said partly he's going to continue to coach, 
They showed a lot. They Sean Monahan, an awesome rookie season. Mark Giordano is the best to come on the blue line. So, and he's got some picks. So they have an opportunity to do something. And it, I would think it would have been Brad or either maybe a, a Benning from from Boston that would have been the guy. But um, you know, it's finally you know Brian Burke kind of kidded that you know, we won't hear from him for four months. Not too sure about that, but it was a really good hire given uh, Brad's experience uh, both the NHL level. He's also run a league like you guys mentioned, and I think it's a really smart move, and hopefully it'll work out well for Brian Burke and the Cowboys fans. Yeah, and the one thing that the Coyotes were able to do, you know, like we were just talking about you know, getting the right player mix in, and that's really what the Coyotes did. I mean, with very little resources, they were actually put to, able to put together a really competitive team under horrible circumstances. And they, you know, you look at them top to bottom, I mean, obviously they struggled a little bit this year, but they have a pretty. They had a pretty decent team, considering that they had no resources. So if you can build a team that way, uh, certainly with already some stuff up in Calgary, I was actually surprised at how well they did this year. Uh, it might not be too bad. So I, I wish him the luck. He, he's a generally really good guy. So we we will see what happens. Now Boston, and you know what? He'll have some. He'll have some great stories to tell you. I think working for Brian Burke <laughs> is going to be a. Uh, a life-defining experience for him. I, um, I like and I mean that in the best possible way. I think Brian is just a fantastic hockey guy and one of the greatest personalities that this game has. And uh, everybody that's worked for him has, you know, for the most part, enjoyed that experience. I like Brian Burke. I mean, I'm just a nobody. I was at uh, the World Cup of Hockey in Montreal whatever year that was, 2006, I think it was, as with a couple of friends of mine who were uh, who were in the media uh, and kind of knew Brian a little bit. So we actually, he was in the hotel, we kind of in a corner with about six people just talking with him for a couple hours. And I was, I didn't know what to expect. I was like, oh, you know, this guy kind of looks like he's scary. But he was super nice, really cool, down to earth. <laughs> how are your interactions with him, Dennis? Um, Brian's been awesome with me when he was in Anaheim. Look, as honest as they come, Right, very forthcoming, and you know, but he sets himself up to be a target with his statements. Right, he's very controversial. He puts himself out there, and he, he won a cup in, in Anaheim. Some people say it was with uh, with uh, Brian Murray's um, players, which is you know some truth to some extent. But he went out and got Rob Niedermeyer so he could get Scott Niedermeyer. And like Sean says, a very very smart guy, a very very smart hockey guy. And the record aside, you know, he didn't win in Vancouver, didn't win in Toronto, did win in Anaheim. But I agree with you, as broad a hockey monitor is, and I, I, hey, from a media standpoint, I love him. I can't wait for a Brian Burke press conference because you know there's going to be some quotes coming out of it that we all can use in Soul Golden. So I, I think that, you know, Brian, nobody will outwork Brian Burke, right? He's going to work as hard as possible to bring a championship to Calgary. Whether it happens or not, you know, we'll find out soon. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, he's famous for his media personality, but a lot of that is, is very calculated to keep his team in a cocoon, I think, you know, let me make these brash statements and everybody's going to be asking about me. Everybody's going to want to talk to me and his team can kind of develop. I I think he was great in Toronto for that very reason. That place could be insane. And and he was able to kind of harness that insanity and live in the middle of, of, of just craziness. But his team was a little bit in a cocoon because Everybody was distracted. He was almost like George Steinbrenner when when I first moved to New York and George Steinbrenner was here running the Yankees and he was must-hear television and guys would wait for him every day. Just on the off chance that he blew up, there was a New York Times, I mean, a New York Daily News and a New York Post writer assigned to Steinbrenner duty and they had to wait outside the stadium for him on case he spoke and then if he didn't, they could go in and do a different sidebar. But that was their duty every day. And and Burke wasn't quite like that, but he was that same kind of thing where you always want to get Brian Burke's take on something because it was gold, and then everybody else could go about their business. I mean, I know you've been to the GM meetings, and, and they send Brian out as a sacrificial lamb, and he yeah. holds court for 25 minutes and has great opinions about everything, and then everybody else goes to the golf course. Glenn Stater comes out, shoots right to the golf course. All those guys right out the door. You maybe get two other guys that hang around, and, and he really is like the Trojan horse. They send them out and distract everybody, and off they go. And I think it says a lot about his character. That he's, he's the third Canadian market he's taken the head job in. That, that's, that says that to come out of the crucible that Toronto was, you would think that you know a lesser guy would step away and say, like, I don't want to do another Canadian NHL team. There's no way I'm going to do it. But you know, Brian is stepping up to the challenge in Calgary. I think it says a lot to his competitiveness and, and wanting to win in, in Canada. They like, they like, you know, they like and, Americans up there. And that's the way he's always been. I mean, you know, he he talks about truculence, and, and he, he he's a truculent guy. I mean, he says what he means, and he says it whether you want to hear it or not. 
you know, I think, you know, everybody knows about the Bobby Ryan uh, uh, controversy for the Olympics this year. But, I mean, that's just Brian being Brian. Um, and that's not even in a facetious way. I'm sure if he had the chance, he would have told Bobby that. Um, and he wasn't given the chance for whatever reason. But he's he's always been an upfront, right in your face kind of guy. He'll, and his players like him for that reason. They know where they stand with Brian Burke. It's not like you know you go to some teams and you don't know where you stand, and all of a sudden you're traded, and you're like, wow, I I didn't know any of this. He, players that play for him know where they where they belong on the depth chart, and and can make it better, or will find themselves out of town. Now, back to the playoffs here. So I think we all agree that Chicago's coming out of the Central. But whom will they face? L.A., San Jose, or Anaheim? Dennis, you're up first. Uh, <laughs> That's what I say. Yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with, with Anaheim because Bruce got out of the first round. Uh, that was a big win last night. Um, I, I think that um, you see how great Ryan gets off, of, you know, how much he means to this team. I like the depth on forward. The robot injury concerns me a little bit. And, you know, look, if there was a game seven, who would have started a net? Another goaltending controversy. I just think that, that Car- uh, Perry and Getzlaff, and just from a sentimental standpoint, where I like to see Timu raise the cup one more time, I would. So I'm going to go with Anaheim because, you know, you don't get the 116 points by accident, guys. And I just think that they've just gotten enough in. They've got enough depth here. Um, they've, they've shaken off the first-round blues. Um, and I just think that they can, they can, they can emerge to play Chicago um, coming out of the Pacific. And I, I, I picked L.A. when this whole thing started. Um, so I, I'm not going to back off that pick yet. Maybe we can revisit it if they get knocked out. But i got to stick with that one for now. And I guess they, you know, they're going to find some way to wiggle out of this first round mess that they put themselves in. And then, you know, that's going to be the boost of confidence that they need. And I still think out of everybody, they have the best goaltender. And, you know, those first two games with Jonathan Quick, uh, I don't know if they're an anomaly or, or what it is, but I, I still believe that they have the best goaltender left in the Western bracket, and, and that should count for something. I mean, Dennis might know this, but to, to me, the first few games, Quick looked a little slower than normal. I don't know if he's, I know he says he's healthy, but he just looked a little slower than normal. Like when he's going from one side of the net to the other, normally he's there in a flash and he was a little slow. Do you think he was dinged up or just, it was just a weird first few games, Dennis? I just think positionally he didn't play great. And if you look at his save percentages through the series, it's gotten better every game. Yeah. So I just think that, that, that he, maybe he quieted himself as the games went on and he wasn't getting caught out. A couple of those those goals in San Jose in the games one and two, he, he was really badly out of position. Um, and enough for nothing, I, I just think the tempo was different in the Kings' wins. I think not only goaltending, but you look at the bottom six. In San Jose, the, the, the bottom six of the Sharks dominated those first two games. That's why they won. Torres and Brown and James Shepard. And as the series has gone on, that their effects have been lessened. But uh, I, I agree with Sean. Of the three teams left in, in the Pacific, it's clearly, you know, you can't argue that, that Quick's the best goaltender here. So, you know, if they pull it off, is it going to be because he played two great games? I think it's mandatory at this point in time. They're not going to, guys, if they go through a seventh game, they're not going to win a 5-4 shootout in the Shark Tank. It won't happen. They're going to have to, you know, really just give up a couple goals, a couple of chances like they did in, in game five, and hopefully they can do the, the, you know, for a Kings fan, they can do the trick again, again in game seven. But I just think that they could kind of maybe look through this game, Brian, a little bit and said, like, I'm doing too much, too much activity around the net and just kind of quiet himself, and that's what led to the last two games being wins for him. Yeah, I think if – Yeah, no. If they can win these next two games and get through to the next round, I think they'll beat the Ducks. Uh, but if they don't, I do, I do think Anaheim will win as well. So what were you going to say, Sean? Oh, well, hey, I was going to say that uh, Quick definitely slowed himself down, I, I think. When he's, when he's off, he's, he's too aggressive and he, he gets out of position. You find him out by, like, the circles, you know? Like, he just right. he kind of loses track of where his net is. But the other thing that I think has happened in the series, and I, nobody knows if it's going to pay off or not, but I think it's kind of been a blueprint of what you need to do with San Jose. is, And it's the same thing that, that Philly's done when they've been good against New York, is you just really have to slow the game down. Like it, It's not even while the game's going on. It's all that after the whistle stuff. It's, it's the pushing and the shoving, you know, what the Bruins are great at. And the, what it does is it just messes with teams' momentum. You know, like those first two games, the Sharks were going. Like they would get a goal, and then they'd go, and they'd get another goal. And it just fed off of itself, and there was all kinds of, you know, enthusiasm going on. And then as the Kings got into the series and, and they just started with all that 
histrionics and then the pushing and the shoving and, and everything that goes on, it really knocks teams out of their element. You know, everybody goes, oh, why do they have to do that? There's reasons why that's done. It isn't because the guys, I mean, some guys enjoy it, but that's not the whole reason. Part of it is just to kind of dictate the pace that the game is going to be played at, how quick it is, how quick you're going to go off the face off. You know, and the Kings are trying to play less guys now, I think, and every minute you can kind of buy during a game is helping you out a little bit. Yeah, it's an interesting series. So now in the East, I think we all agree Boston is going to come out of the East. But the Metropolitan is uh, pretty wide open. I mean, those two series are still not even done yet. Uh, Obviously, Pittsburgh and the Rangers have the 3-2 leads, and we'll know after tonight what's happening with one of them. But who's going to come out of that? I I went to Game 2 of the Ranger-Flyer series, and the first period and a half of that series the Rangers speed was just killing the Flyers and the Rangers kind of fell asleep and uh, got beat in that game but there's I and I've seen the Rangers a few times this year but man they have really since they got St. Louis and kind of changed around their lines that team's got an awful lot of speed I actually think the Rangers are going to come out of that I, I and we can delve into Pittsburgh's problems but uh, they have really not enough depth and I think Biles as a playoff coach is terrible so Dennis where are you going with this uh don't sleep on the Rangers guys all to come out of the east do not sleep on them I agree with you Brian I, I just uh, you know they got the goalie who, who can win some games and I know he's never been to the final but I, I would not sleep on this team AV is the right coach for this team like you said San Luis been a great ad and he's getting a little bit of magic in that stick again after a slow start in New York but um if there's one team out of the remaining group that can beat Boston it's New York will they do it uh, I don't I wouldn't bet on it but if, if they it would not be a total shock to me if they could emerge from the from the east uh, because of the matchups and because they would they could play them evenly in goal they can go safe for safe with Tuka Rask and I think that's one of the issues um certainly their defense isn't as good but um and it could be a little bit of magic on Broadway come uh, next couple of rounds. And you look at the way it's kind of playing out. I mean, if all that happens, they're going to go, the Rangers more than likely are going to go to the Eastern Conference Final in much better physical shape than the Bruins. I mean, this Bruins-Montreal series is, is going to be so emotionally, mentally, and physically taxing. I, I you know, just even thinking about it, I was I was there in 2011 when they played each other, last time they played each other, and that wasn't much of a series. But, uh, you know, it, it just the toll that, that series takes on everybody is, is unbelievable. You know, it, it's close enough where the travel's not that hard, but that also kind of pollutes who's the home team. I mean, obviously, there's a home advantage, but... The, the media contingent that goes with it, the fans, everything, it, it kind of interbleeds in each other. And then you get on the ice, and, and some of the great greatest rivalries in the game, personal rivalries right now, you know, are on display in that tournament. I mean, Milan Lucic and P.K. Subban, and, and you know, Tukas had his run-ins with the Canadians. There's there's drama for days in that series. And, <laughs> and I, think, I think maybe physically it's going to be demanding. Emotionally, it is going to be unbelievably draining. So if they get out, they come into the Eastern Conference Final, I think the more depleted of the two teams, whichever team comes out of the other one. I'm not saying that series isn't going to be competitive and isn't going to be physical. It's just not going to be under the same glaring spotlight that the Bruins and Canadians are going to be. By the way, breaking news as we speak, the Penguins are up with the 2-0 lead, which is good, but as we've discussed, that almost doesn't mean a whole lot of anything these days. So we we will see how that goes. Sean, more but importantly... They, well, the interesting question there is who has the goals. I mean, you look at the Penguins, Sidney Crosby hasn't scored in the, in this tournament yet. They're in game six, so you didn't score against the Bruins. I mean, you're at like 10 games now without Crosby having a goal. And Malkin hasn't been very good. I mean, Evgeny Malkin, Evgeny Malkin. Those are the two goals. See, there you go. So, I mean, he was good in that one game when Pierre couldn't stop talking about him. Pierre Maguire said it's the best game he's played. You know, and I think maybe there was a forgetting that he won a, a con smite there uh, against Detroit. Um, but uh, they, they're, their big guns haven't been good uh, in the playoffs lately either. So, you know, it, it, for them to get far, that's going to have to happen. And, right. and maybe this is the game that breaks them out. 
Uh, to start to finish this off, uh, I want to play a little game with you guys. The, the game is, why does this person have a job? And there's two people I want to ask you why they have a job. The first person is Mike Milbury. Dennis, why does he have a job? He's bombastic. He makes people talk about him. He makes me fast forward or turn the channel, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I get it, I suppose. Right? It's like when Howard Stern first came out. Did you hear what he said? Like people, you know, turned off because he, you know, they would turn on to, to hear what he said. The people that hated him turned on to hear what he said. You turn on to see what Mike Miller is going to say. It's very, very smart programming. Yeah, but he's not very and smart. look, he, he has some cachet with the casual hockey fan. You know, people know who he is for a number of reasons. Um, one of which is, you know, that he was one of the the big bad Bruins. And, well, and he's lived off that the, the great, the greatest thing ever. He was the guy with the shoe. Come on, I know, but that was all part of that legacy. <laughs> but he was the guy that had Terry O'Reilly, you know, come in and finish a number of his his races. Um, but uh, you know, he's lived off of that for years, and that's great. I mean, he's he's America's version of Don Cherry. Yeah, right? but see, here's but here's the difference, though. I love Don Cherry, and Don Cherry is a smart guy and understands the game, and he's bombastic just to be bombastic, the same with Howard Stern. To me, Mike Milbury does not understand the game and just says ridiculous things just to be ridiculous. See, but there's a lot of people that would argue with you that, that Don Cherry does the same thing. And a lot of it's viewpoint and what you believe in, um, you know, as far as the way the game is going to be played and the good Canadian boys and, you know, all that stuff. It, it's how you look at it. There's a ton of people that think the game has passed Don Cherry by. Um, and, and, you know, but that's something that you like. It's something that you've grown up on. It's something that you're comfortable with. You know, Mike Milbury is a little bit of a different story because of, you know, the lower profile, I think, and he's not as quite as much of a cultural institution. Right. Um, but I think that's why he has a job is because he has cachet with with the fans and the casual fans, and NBC thinks they can program against that. Yeah, yeah right. he's trying to hit the nail on the head. Yeah, he's uh, D D Cherry's an icon. And, and Milbury is not, and that's that's the differentiator between the two. Exactly. I also heard Milbury is a nice guy off off the air. So, uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, the other guy, and I hate to say this because uh, I'm a huge fan, but why does Dan Bilesma have a job, Dennis? Um, he may not have a job this summer. Uh, good. <laughs> John, well, he has a job. He has a job because he won a cup. That's why a lot of guys have a job. You know, whether it was him. I mean, he came in halfway not. through the season that year, so. But he won. He was the coach for four rounds of the playoffs, and and got them, you know, over the hump, which they couldn't do before Look, that. My, my so, argument, my argument to that is that Barry Switzer won an NFL championship. <laughs> I mean, that the team Look, won and, it. There, Barry Switzer many, didn't win it. How many how many jobs did he get off of that? Switzer. Like, that's the thing. Like it's it's one of those things that you do. It's like in being in the newspaper business. I I could win a Pulitzer tomorrow. Not going to happen, but I could. And then I could mail it in for 10 years and I could still get jobs because I just put on my resume, I, hey, I won a Pulitzer. Somebody's going to hire me just for that reason. Somebody's going to hire Dan Bilesma just because he won a cup. And and I'm not on the bandwagon with you. I don't think he's as bad a coach as, as No, as I, think, I think he's a, I, no, I think, he's a very good coach. He's a very good players coach. He's a very, very good regular season coach. But when it comes down to the playoffs, when it's more of an XO type situation, you have to react. He is not able to understand the game, nor does he have the right assistance around him to make the adjustments. That was proven last year in the Boston series. I mean, Claude Julian and the Bruins made the adjustments, and the Penguins never did, and they got destroyed. Well, yeah, no, and... And I think that's true, but I, I think you nailed it on the head in that he's a player's coach. Uh, that's what's going to work in Pittsburgh with the way they're built right now. You know, Michelle Terrian was in there before him, and he wasn't a player's coach. And it didn't really work for them. I mean, look, we're in an NHL now where the players kind of run things a little bit. You know, you look at what just happened in Washington, you know, and you look at what happened in uh, in Vancouver, you know, where, where guys just said, hey, we don't like playing for this guy. It's a long season, and, and his acts weren't thin. Look what happened to Tortorella in New York. I mean, the players said, that's it. We're done. We don't want to do this anymore. And, and you, you know, you look at it as an, as an owner or a manager, and you say, you know what? The regular season is a long time, and, and I need to get through that. And then if I get through that, you know, hopefully I can get through the two months of the playoffs. So, you know, I think with some of the guys that aren't as good dealing with the players, it becomes a really long grind. And, and those guys don't last very long. I mean, Tortorella might only last one year in Vancouver, and, and he only lasts three to four in, in New York. His act just wears thin because 
players are too powerful now. They don't want to deal with that kind of stuff. And, and I talked to Paul than that, and I can affirm what Sean just said. Like when Terran was there, he wanted the chip and chase, and like Sid and Gino, like, are you crazy? And then Dan came in with that system and and won a cup. Now, Brian, I mean, how do you fault Dan for writing Flurry into the starting goaltender name? And for plays like that, right? I mean, what what can he do to con- control? What can he do to overcome Mark Andre Fleury and the players playing poorly, right? And not only that, but Ray Shiro not doing a great job on the bottom six. So I, I agree with you. I think I think you saw in the Olympics that you know Babcock against against Bosma wasn't really that a fair of a matchup. But I, I just think that while he's going to be culpable, and if they don't want to, if they don't get to the final or at least win. This year will, will be his job, possibly. But, I mean, there's other factors going on other than Dan's coaching as well. The, the reason why they haven't been successful over the last couple of years. Let, uh, look, I agree. I'm trying not to throw him too much under the bus. But I do feel that, <laughs> that he's not an XO guy nearly as much. In the, and it, you can see that when he gets into the playoffs. If, they're, if he's going to stay there, he's got to get an assistant coach that's a really good XO guy that can make it happen. So, And, and by the way, I want John Tortorella to replace Mike Milbury. That's my dream for next season. <laughs> so that would be that would be fantastic. So Dennis, uh, let us fill us in on what's the latest, what's going on with the fourth period. Um, we've got two shows on SiriusXM. We've got uh, the Players Lounge, which you've been on uh, on Fridays from I believe one or two um, Eastern, and, and Fourth Period Live uh, from three to five Eastern on Saturdays. Uh, the latest magazine's out with John Tavares on the cover, uh, trying to overcome the. Uh, Fourth period jinx of uh, getting injured and being on the cover, so we're doing that. And then um, we'll be in full effect at the NHL awards. We'll have a gifting suite there, and um, you know uh, that that's basically what we're doing right now. Again, it's the, you know, fourth period for those who don't know is a lifestyle brand. It's the players off the ice, and it's been really you know the magazine's been really successful. The radio show's been great, so it's been a, a great run uh, for fourth period then uh, last couple of years. Yeah, they're really cool because what they do, kind of like what Dennis said, it's a, more of a lifestyle thing, and you get to really know the players, and it's really, you know, I hate to use the word hip, but it's super hip and really cool. It's a different way of looking at the game uh, for a lot of younger people that, that may not have thought that these hockey players, because hockey players don't have the biggest personalities, and especially when they're on TV, but I think that you guys do a great job in kind of showcasing that and really bringing out some interesting angles of just the whole off-the-ice stuff as well as on the ice, so. Appreciate that. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, and that's the that's the best part. I, I think of that whole approach is, you know, the guys that that play this game have fantastic personalities. They've been taught their whole lives to kind of hide them and and you know put them behind the team and not really you know let it show. But there's some great stories in the NHL, and I, I think you know more than anybody, the fourth period's done a lot of that and and brought a lot of the the attitude and, and the excitement that's in our league, especially with the young players and kind of showcased it uh, through the publication. So it, I've, I've always enjoyed reading it. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate that. And I also get to, I get to also tell players they're not good looking enough to be in my magazine. <laughs> a great opportunity to chirp some of these guys. So it's, it's been a really nice one for us. I appreciate the support and affirmation from both of you. Absolutely. So check it out. The fourth period.com has all the information on the magazine, the physical magazine, the radio shows, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Dennis, they can follow you on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Dennis TFP. Very good. Of course, I'm at Brian Slagle, and Sean's is so complicated, I can never remember. What is it again, Sean? I forget. <laughs> it's S. Rourke underscore NHL, R-O-A-R-K-E. You have to get rid of that underscore. I, I, I demand anybody on Twitter that has an underscore <laughs> to go back and somehow get rid of it. It's the most annoying thing. Uh, you can also, I'm on Instagram at Brian Slagle as well. That's going to do it for this month. Thanks so much for doing this, Dennis. It was a blast. We really great, greatly appreciate it. No problem, guys. It was great being on Metal Misconduct. Anytime you need me, I'd be happy to come on again. And we'll see you guys next week. Uh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Dennis, we'll see you soon, hopefully at the finals or definitely in uh, awards. We'll get Brian up again. Absolutely, 100%, man. Awesome, and we'll see you guys next month where we'll be even further along in the NHL playoffs. So uh, join us then. Thanks again.